Am I here? Where am I at? There we No? Yes? Sorry. I turned myself off there. Sound guys are perfect. I always like to say that when I get up here. They didn't make a mistake. It's always the guy behind the pulpit that makes the mistakes, and I just want to make that clear. Right now, for everyone to know that if there's ever a problem with the sound, it has nothing to do with the guys up there. It's always the person on the stage that is causing the problems. That may be a lie, but we'll go with it for now. <clears throat> Those were beautiful songs this morning. I certainly appreciate that. Um, they were beautifully done and had tremendous truth inside of those songs, and they're the best kind of music to listen to. Uh, sound, songs that are not ho- uh, hollow, they're not shallow, and uh, just repeat a bunch of words that make you feel good, uh, but have a doctrinal truth to them, and uh, so thankful for the music here at our church, and uh, thankful for the opportunity now to open God's Word this morning and to be challenged through it, and I trust that's where the challenge will come from, the Holy Spirit of God and from His Word. Um, I understand that my role is just a vessel, and I I do desire for the Lord to use me today and to use His Word in all of our hearts. I was sharing some of these thoughts with my wife uh, last night and and just sharing with her how convicting the preparation of this message was. And uh, it so often is just so deeply convicting uh, how the Lord speaks to us. And um, I trust that uh, today um, you'll be sensitive to what the Lord has for you. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we're going to, uh, as I like to do, set the stage a little bit, and uh, I have a pattern in preaching. I like to know the background story, and uh, I, when it comes to these uh, epistles or these books that are written to churches, I want to know what's going on at the church, what the, the attitude is or what's being addressed, and so I want to turn to 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to wind up in chapter 4, um, but we'll start in chapter 3 and uh, verse number 12. And uh, we'll read a few verses here this morning, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll progress from there. Verse number 12, um, is everyone there? If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, that sounds like half of you at least, so uh, the rest can just pretend like you're there. Verse number 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth, and there's com- some confusion about the gospel. People still aren't clearly understanding what salvation is. And so he's addressing them saying, hey, I'm going to be as upfront and as clear as I possibly can. And I'm going to strive to do that this morning as well. I want plainness of speech and I don't want to confuse things with my words. And uh, that's what Paul is saying here. We use great plainness of speech. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded for until this day... Uh, remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. He's referring to the book of Moses, what, not the book of Moses, he's referring to the law of Moses, okay? The, the, what took place in the Old Testament where people had to perform certain duties in order to achieve faith, all right? And we see that all through the New Testament where we look at back at the Old Testament saints and by faith they pleased God. And, uh, and so that's what he's talking about. But there were some laws that had to be followed. There were procedures and processes that had to be done. And for some, it was very confusing, this point of transition where Jesus Christ has now died on the cross. And there's been a veil placed over their eyes where they could not see. They couldn't understand what salvation by faith in Jesus' completed work on the cross truly meant. They were still caught up in the law. And what they had to do in order to achieve salvation, all right? And so we see here, their minds were blinded until this day. 
there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which, is, which veil is done away in Christ. In Christ, that veil shouldn't be there. The gospel is simple. There's nothing complicated about it. It's a simple, free gift that just has to be received. But they were struggling with that. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. The veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall, uh, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Be, but we all, with one open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed unto the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And Paul is just making it abundantly clear here that the gospel is not complicated. It's not difficult. Yes, in the Old Testament, they would veil their faces. They would read the law. It was maybe a little bit more difficult to understand. But he's saying here, now it's not complicated. The veil has been done away with in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's not a difficult thing to understand. It's not a difficult thing to receive. And what he says there in the end is we can see Jesus like looking through a glass. We're not looking through a veil anymore. It's like looking through a glass. It's clear. It's obvious. It's right in front of us. And we can be changed into the, his same image from glory to glory. And so he was making it abundantly clear here that the gospel was not difficult to see. Don't get tripped up in the old law. Don't get tripped up in the Old Testament law. But there was a blindness there besides the veil of the Old Testament. The Bible says that there was a veil upon their hearts. You see what took place here is these people rejected Jesus Christ. They had crucified their Redeemer. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. And so a veil was placed upon their hearts, which made it difficult for the Jewish people to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And now we're talking to the Corinthian church, where the Jewish people are trying to tell the Gentiles, it's not that easy, it's not that easy. And the Corinthian church is like, well, well, is it simply a gift of salvation? Do I just receive it? Or do I have to do all these works and all this law? There was a lot of confusion because of the spiritual blindness of the people of that day, the spiritual blindness. Paul lived in an age of incredible spiritual blindness, and so do we. We live in an age of incredible spiritual blindness. The blindness that these people had in this passage that he was referring to, uh, the Jews, was because of a veil that God had placed over their eyes because of the rejection of their son. There is a veil over the hearts of men today, though. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the people in our society. And like Paul, we also live in a very spiritually blind society. There's so much confusion surrounding the world in which we live today. There's lies, there's manipulation. It's amazing how they've even corrupted who God is himself. In the world in which we live today, you'll take a Mormon, you'll take a Buddhist, you'll take a, a Muslim, you'll take a, a Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, you'll put them all in the same room, and you'll say, go ahead and pray to your God, it's all the same God, it doesn't matter. No. That's just confusion. That's a lie. It causes spiritual blindness. Just as it was doing to the church of Corinth. The God of the Bible is not the God of Islam, it's not Allah. The God of the Bible is not the God that the Mormons worship. It's, it's a, there's a different God. This is the only and one true God. Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is not the same God. And so, no, I can't get in a room with a bunch of Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or even Catholics. I can't get in the same room and have a word of prayer with them expecting to pray to the same God. 
We're worshiping at the altars of different gods. Mine is the God of the Bible. Not the God of a man-made religion. But we live in a world today where they say, hey, it's all the same God. It's just by a different name. There's so much confusion. People are confused in our world today. Truth is hard to come by. You look at our politicians and truth is constantly manipulated. Parts of truth are told. You look at our media and you, you see where they just outright tell lies. They don't even try to tell the truth. So many preachers today are even preaching a, an opinion-based doctrine that's causing confusion in the world in which we live. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 14 is very clear and judgment is turned away. It's talking about the days in which we lived. We live today. It's also it was prophetic. It's talking about the people that he was addressing, but it's talking about us. And judgment is turned away backward. And just, justice standeth afar off. And truth is fallen in the street. We live in a society and a world just as Paul did in this, this age of the church of Corinth where truth was manipulated, it was, it was, uh, lies were being uh, distributed, and, and it, was just, it was a difficult time. It was a time of spiritual blindness. Let's jump up to the next chapter. Chapter 4, and let's read verse number 4. And we'll see, again, we'll just reiterate why the blindness is here. Chapter 4 and verse number 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Why are the people blind, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine, I'm sorry, should shine unto them. So much confusion. We live in a world of confusion. And if we're not careful, we let confusion creep into our hearts. We let confusion creep into our minds, even in the church. Now more than ever, I hear about gray areas or unknowns. I just don't know if that's right or that's wrong. There's so much confusion that has crept in as a result of the blindness of the world in which we live. And Paul here said, I'm going to use plain speech. I want you to understand some things clearly. And I want you to understand, as it says there in verse number four, that we are battling against the God of this world because he is the one who is causing the blindness in people's minds. We've got to do something about it. So if you look back there at 2 Corinthians chapter four and verse number two, it says, but I have... Uh, but we, he's talking about him and the apostles, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, hey, we're not going to try to contrive something. We're not going to try to create something. All that we want to do for you to help remove the blindness that is in your heart is we want you to see God. We want to speak to your conscience. We want to speak to your heart. We want you to see the truth of who God is in your heart. We can pretend to ignore. We can pretend to, to not hear. But when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our hearts, we cannot ignore that. We can tune out a preacher. 
We can choose not to read the word of God, but when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our heart, we cannot ignore that voice. You can choose to do nothing with it. You can choose to not listen to it. You can choose to outright disobey it. But you cannot choose to ignore him. You cannot turn him off. We live in a world where there's spiritual blindness, but you know what they can hear and what they can see is the Holy Spirit of God working in their life. And Paul says, I want it to be abundantly clear. I want to speak to your conscience. I want the Holy Spirit of God to work in you. Because we are in a battle against the God of this world, little g, God of this world, who is seeking to blind the eyes of those that are around us. Not so long ago, there was a game system that came out. At least it feels like not so long ago, but it's been a few years now. It's Nintendo. Not Wii, not Nintendo Switch, not any of those things. Just the old gray Nintendo. And you had the cartridges. You had to you know, put them under your shirt and you know, blow in them. Get them to work, wiggle them around, shake them, double stack the cartridges. You had to do everything. You, know? you, did, you paused the game and left it run for three days because there was no save. Some of you, you know, you're too, you're too old for that. You were playing the Pong and stuff. I, that, was, that was before me. Pong, doing, 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 doing. All right? But I grew up in the age of technological advancement. Mario Brothers in 2D. All right. 1D. I don't even know what kind of D it was. It was awesome. That's what it was. There were games in that Nintendo where there was a special combination move. You had these bosses at the end of each level. When you got to the end of that level, you had to beat the boss in order to, to move to the next level. And there was a certain combination of moves you'd have to do. Up, up, down, back, B, A, select. And you had to do it all, you know, in like that perfect order and timing. It just had to be all... But when you did, a, a special power was revealed that wasn't so obvious and would enable you to, to defeat that boss at the end of that level. I think in the passage that we're about to reveal, it's not a video game, don't get me wrong. The passage we're going to read and we're going to look at today, I believe that Paul reveals for us a, a combination. How we can battle against the God of this world, who's seeking to blind the eyes and the hearts of the lost and cause confusion in the mind and the heart of the believer. We see it all around us. The world is full of lies and full of confusion, but that is not what God wants for us. And so we're going to look this morning on a combo for battling the God of this world. Father, Lord, we do pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would do a great work in our midst this morning. And as we look at these simple truths over these next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can. Lord, I will use plain speech, but Holy Spirit of God, will you speak to the hearts? Will you bring conviction in the conscious mind of everyone that's in here? Lord, we're not wanting the work of a man today. Lord, I don't want manipulation. I don't want deception. I don't want to create something out of nothing. I want your Holy Spirit to work in my heart and, and, and the hearts of those who are here. Lord, speak clearly and plainly. And may we not walk out of this place without having heard the voice of God. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. The first thing that I'd like for us to notice this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 5 and 6. In the combo for battling the God of this world, I want you to notice Paul's purpose. 
When it came to this whole thing that was taking place where he was trying to help them see the goodness of God and the salvation of God, he, he, he demonstrates for us his purpose. In verses number 5 and 6 we see, For we preach not ourselves, but, uh, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded, uh, commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the only answer to a world of confusion was not for him to be silent. And and the truth is, a matter of times, when there's so many voices speaking, a lot of times we feel like we have to be quiet until it's our turn to be heard. And there are so many voices in the world today uh, throwing things out there. The media, as I said earlier, and politicians and, and even other religions that are constantly throwing truths at us or lies or whatever it is, their manipulation. And a lot of times we feel like, oh, I just got to be silent and wait my turn. But Paul understood that he had a purpose that w- could not wait for his turn. His turn was now and the only way for the lies and the manipulation to be turned aside was for him to speak up in truth. And so he starts to proclaim to them, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. We're simply the servants for his sake. And our purpose here in preaching him is that the light of his gospel will be made clear to you. He had a very clear and defined purpose. He wasn't speaking to elevate himself. He wasn't speaking to give himself a better position. He wasn't speaking to make himself more well-known among the people. Paul was speaking so that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. He understood that it was bigger than him. That the purpose of his life was bigger than who he was. The purpose of his life, verse number 6 tells us, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ be hid. Hey, hey, what I'm here for and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ be shown. And I want it to be shown through my life. There is nothing more important than that for us as believers. We have a purpose in this life. And it is for the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel. Not just any gospel, not just any truth. The glorious gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is for that to shine through us. That is your purpose if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And it is my purpose. It's very clear. John chapter 12 verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We have a very specific purpose in life. But remember who we're battling. The God of this world. And one of his most effective lies and deceit that he'll tell us today causes us to lose track of our intended purpose. The book of Colossians, Paul is addressing this problem in great detail, specifically in chapter number 3 where he's trying to help the church of Colossae to see how they need to keep the priorities in their lives right. They need to keep their purposes right. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And you could go on and on and on and read through that passage in Colossians chapter 3, and it's, it's going to constantly realign the mindset of the believer to not be focused on themselves, but to keep their focus on heaven and their purpose on this earth. See, we are doing battle against the God of this world. 
And he is causing blindness in the hearts and lives of the saved and the unsaved alike. And the, one of the ways that we battle that is by keeping the focus in our heart is that we have a very specific purpose for existing. A very specific purpose. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. And the devil creeps in. The God of this world creeps in. And he manipulates and he lies and he deceives what our affections should be. Where should your affections be? You know, the biggest culprit in our life when it comes to distraction from our true purpose, purpose is not the obvious attacks. It's the subtle deceits. It's where the devil comes in and takes something good and destroys the purpose that you have. Subtle. Subtle means to cunningly devise something. The devil's good at cunningly devising something. He's creative and he knows exactly what trips your, your switch. He'll take your job and he'll cause you to focus on it. Your career, your income, the money. He'll take your children and he'll let those take you out of church. He'll let your children get involved in sports and keep you from being able to be faithful to the house of God. He'll take your, your spouse and use your spouse, a good thing, and use your spouse to cause distraction in your life. It could be overtime, it could be any number of things. See, I don't know what it is, and, and I, can't, I can't speak plainly to every single one of those facts, so I'll just let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your conscience on that. What good thing has the devil subtly taken hold of in your life that has caused distraction from the purpose that God has given you in existing in this world? What thing keeps you from walking with God? What thing keeps you from attending the house of God? What thing keeps you from being able to give to the Lord? What thing keeps you from being able to share the light of his glorious gospel with a lost world? What thing has he used, has he cunningly devised to distract you from your purpose? It's very, very subtle. But he's good at it. And he'll so easily cause you to lose focus of your purpose. It is amazing how easily I find myself even sometimes. I say that not like I'm better than anybody else. I'm just telling you, I find myself thinking these things. Where I find myself looking for gain in this world. I've got to gain. I've got to get. I've got to get. I've got to get. I've got to get. To the point where it can distract from the good things of God. When the truth of the matter is, the things that I gain in this world will all burn away. Not a single one of them will last. It doesn't matter for what reason I think I'm gaining. I may even tell myself a lie and say, oh, I'm just working all this time. Yeah, I know it keeps me out of church and I know I can't be a soul winner and I know that I'm in a wrong environment anyway. I shouldn't even be working there because I can't stand up to these people. I can't stand up and be a witness. I'm not able to even share Christ. I don't know what it is, but you're working there and you tell yourself, oh, I'm, I'm working here and I'm doing this so I can give to the church. I don't care. That doesn't matter. 
Now, I understand I'm not a pastor, and I don't have to worry about all the bills. And you, know, and you may say, oh, pastors, they want the money to come in. Give, give, give. But the thing is that the Lord of the harvest prays that he would send forth laborers. He asks us to pray that he would send forth laborers. He never asked for us to pray to send forth money into the coffers. The truth of the matter is that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That God has every possession. And you can justify what you're doing in your life saying, oh, it's so I can give to God. It's so I can give to God. It's so I can give to God. Yeah, I'm sticking it out. It's not where I should be. And it's keeping me from the house of God. And it's keeping me from walking with God. But oh, I can give to God. So that's okay. No, God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. He needs your life. He needs laborers into his harvest. He needs for us as the church to keep in mind that we have a very specific purpose in this life and that purpose is to show forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and whatever whatever distracts us from presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ is the subtle deceits of the devil it's blindness it's him sneaking in telling us we're okay but the truth of the matter is he needs laborers he needs laborers Laborers who will forget the gains of this world. Laborers who will stop writing checks from the bank and start writing checks from their time. Laborers who will understand that all that is gathered in this world will eventually burn up. Laborers who won't fit God into their schedules but will fit their schedules into God. Laborers who will, un- laborers who will understand His purpose for their lives. Philippians chapter 3 is very clear. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. He said, man, it's dung. All the things of this world, all the things I've gained, it's all dung if I've lost perspective of what my purpose is. We are battling against the God of this world. We must understand our purpose. We have one purpose. And it is for the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to shine forth from us. We have to fulfill that purpose. Because the God of this world is is fighting and he's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. It's dependent upon us taking that glorious gospel. But as you take this first step in this combination and you start to understand your purpose and you start to live your purpose out in this life, you're going to see that there's a lot of problems that occur. There's going to be problems. And we see those in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Troubled. Troubled means to be agitated. To be disturbed with something. Saying, hey, I understand my purpose, and I'm setting about sharing the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ, but as I'm doing this, I'm fine that I'm, I'm troubled. There's little things that just keep agitating me, and they bother me, and every time I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, they just creep right in. I'm perplexed. Man, I know what my purpose is. And I'm trying to pursue it. But as I go about pursuing it, these little things keep coming my way and they cause confusion. Is this right? Is this right? What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know. 
Should I be over here? Should I be over here? I'm perplexed, puzzled. He says we're persecuted. Physical ailment. You might start serving God. You might start understanding your purpose. And all of a sudden there's physical ailments that come along. Problems. He says we're cast down. That's, a, that's an attitude of discouragement. Like a piece of garbage. We go places and people just throw us out. They treat us like trash. I'm trying to be a witness, but when I try to be a witness, man, it's just like I get treated like I'm the, I'm the great worker. I'm on time. I do everything. I talk to a co-worker and they treat me like I'm a piece of garbage. When you start to understand your purpose and you start to live your purpose out in this life, I can guarantee you that the next thing you're going to encounter is problems. Paul encountered the problems and we're going to encounter the problems. But the, the thing here is, as far as this battling against the God of this world, is how we respond to these problems. Do we let them become excuses to stop fulfilling our purpose, or do we use them as motivation to propel us in fulfilling our purpose? You know, there's all kinds of excuses that we give. Uh, a, a magazine put out a list. Why people uh, couldn't show up for work. I dreamed I was fired. So I didn't want to get out of bed. I was up all night arguing with God. A raccoon stole my work shoe off the porch. I wasn't thinking and accidentally went to my old job. (laughs) While rowing across the river to work, I got lost in the fog. I didn't have money for gas because all the pawn shops were closed. My dog dialed 911 and the police wanted to question me about what really happened. All kinds of excuses, and the truth of the matter is that we live in a society that's full of excuses and accepts excuses. All around us, people, people are excusing things. Kids don't fail classes anymore because they have no children left behind. Constantly excelling them forward even though they haven't achieved it. Kids don't lose in sports games because they, nobody keeps the score. It's just an excuse. It's an excuse for being a loser. Teenagers are not rebellious. rebellious. They're just having an identity crisis. They're, They're just living their own truth. They're just trying to figure out who they are. That's just an excuse. Truth is, the society in which we live today, excuses are all over the place. And it's not just in society. In society, it is also in the house of God. We have excuses Uh, for why we couldn't have devotions. We have excuses for serving the Lord. We have excuses for not living separate from the world. We have excuses for not being faithful to the house of God. We have excuses for not memorizing the word of God as as we're instructed. We have excuses for not letting go of bitterness. We have excuses for not repenting of our sins. All around us, everywhere we look, there's an excuse. And we're the best at believing our own excuses. And the truth of the matter is, as we start to understand our purpose in life, and we start to fulfill what our purpose is, that it's solely and entirely about the gospel of Jesus Christ showing and flowing through me, the devil's going to start throwing a bunch of problems your way. Why? Because he knows that if we latch on to those problems, that we'll use them for an excuse, and our purpose will not be fulfilled. And once again, the battle against the God of this world is a battle that we will begin to lose, because he has let problems into our lives, and they are keeping us from serving God. I, I don't know what the problem is. 
And I'm not saying that it's not real, it's not legitimate, it's not a difficulty. Man, you look at Paul, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're not going to go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24, it talks about all the things Paul went through, being whipped and, and left for dead and shipwrecked and all the things that happened to him. Paul went through more than most of us will ever experience. And I don't want to belittle cancer in any way, but even cancer, even cancer can be a tool to help us fulfill our purpose, not an excuse to stop fulfilling our purpose. But the truth of the matter is, is that in this battle against the God of this world, we let our problems become our excuses. And we let those problems ultimately keep us from fulfilling our purpose. And I don't know what the, Lord, what the devil has done in your life, what the Lord has allowed the devil to do in your life, or what trial the Lord is putting you through. But let me tell you right now, it is so you can fulfill your purpose, not so you have to stop fulfilling your purpose. Maybe you're out of work. Maybe you just diagnosed with a severe illness. Maybe you're struggling with health, finances, family, problems. There's all kinds of things. And I don't know what they are, but those are not excuses. Those are reasons to fulfill your promise or your purpose. To fulfill your purpose. Do you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose? Or do you feel like you're distracted or sidelined by problems? I think I can literally hear crickets right now. <laughs> Not sure what that is. But we have a very specific purpose in our lives. And it's not about getting, it's not about gains, it's about the gospel. And there are going to be problems that come our way. And God's going to allow us to go through those, but it's not so we quit or give up or excuse ourselves. It's so that we can do better at fulfilling our purpose. But I understand that as there are a purpose and there are problems, that we're going to need some motivation along the way. We're going to need some motivation. There's going to be times where we're just not feeling up to it. And I want you to notice the final thing this morning as we see Paul's persuasion. What convinced him to keep going on? See, we all need motivation in our lives. And the more difficult our, our problems become, <laughs> the more we're going to need motivated. The world in which we live today, they say, look to yourself for motivation. One of the key catchphrases that employers like to hear in a, a very um, high-speed business environment is that you're self-motivated. They want to hear that you're self-motivated. And I understand they're, they're saying that you're, you're a go-getter, that you're going to get stuff done. But your sufficiency is not of yourself. And when it comes to battling the God of this world, there's nothing self that is going to help you succeed. But we live in a world where self has become the idol. Self has become the God. So often we'll hear the phrase, oh, I'm going to stop worrying about what other people say or what other people do. I'm just going to do me. We'll hear phrases like self-determination. Self-obsession. Self-worship. And that's the mentality that we have today. 
I just got to dig a little deeper. I just got to focus on me. Oh yeah, I've got some problems, I've got some difficulties, but if I just work on me, if I just do me right now, if I just take a step back from everybody else and just focus on myself, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Nothing spiritual is about self. It's not about what you can dig deep and it's not how well you can develop yourself. It's anti-God, it's anti-Bible. Life isn't about you. And even in your deepest, darkest moments, it's not about you. Even when you're in a point of spiritual weakness, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about what he can do in you and what he wants to do through you. It comes back to his purpose. But a lot of times we start going through something difficult. We have some problems and we say, oh, I just need to buckle down. I just need to do this. I just need to fix this. I, I, I. Oh, I just need to sit a little bit. I just need to, I just need to grow. I just need... Hang on a second. You need to let God fulfill his purpose in you. You don't need to wait. And even in those moments of deepest, darkest pits, he still wants his gospel to shine through you. And he wants to work through you. We're not to be self-centered. We're to be focused on God. Focused on what he can do for us. And so we see here, I want you to notice quickly as we close out this morning, what was Paul's motivation? What kept him moving forward? Look here in verse number 10 and 12. 10 through 12. Chapter 4, 10 through 12. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. You know what motivated Paul? What kept him going even when he was, he understood his purpose, he understood there were problems, but he needed that little extra motivation. You know what kept him going? Well, it's kind of a strange thing, but he was motivated by death. So then death worketh in us. Paul had a deep understanding about the brevity of life. He understood that, yes, he might have some severe problems. Later on in the chapter, he would call those severe problems for this light affliction is but for a time. He understood that there is one event that's going to occur in everybody's life, and it is death. And so while he understood his purpose, it was that the gospel would shine through him. And while he understood that there would be problems in his life, when he faced those barriers, those obstacles, he kept in mind death. Death. Life is short. Life will not last forever. And I might have I may have difficulties. I may have trials, but they are just for a short period of time. And but with the life that I have and the time that I have today, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to fulfill my purpose. I'm going to follow after Christ. I'm going to make the glory of his gospel known because of death. Death can cause a mixture of emotions when you think about it. I've been thinking about death a lot lately. 
little over a week ago, a week ago Friday, we buried my dad. It makes you think about death. You lose a loved one, it causes you to stop and think about death. Death for remaining loved ones, it means grief. For enemies of someone who's died, it might be the satisfaction of revenge. Death for some means relief, but for others it means great burden. Death for some means joy, for others it means great sorrow. For some, they would say it means nothing at all to them, while others would say if they lost a loved one that their whole world would collapse. For the dying who's sick or ailing, it may mean the end of suffering. But for the living, death means great loss. For the Apostle Paul, for those that were living in this age there, and hopefully for the Christians that are here today, Death means motivation. Motivation that this life is not forever. It is short. You can go ahead and fill the 401k, pack out the retirement plan, work all the overtime hours, spend all your time trying to gain, forsake the house of God, never open your mouth and share the gospel but your life will end just like anyone else's. Your life will end. And all of the things of this life will be consumed as though they were wood, hay, or stubble. I count all my gains but loss for the cause of Christ. Lay lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, or moss, rust doth corrupt, thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where there is no rust, and there will not be corrupted, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. We're so easily distracted from our purpose in this life that our lives are short, that they will come to an end like that. I'm 33. So young. And yet I feel the speed of life. And I can't imagine what it's like at 50, 60, 70. How quickly it moves by. Don't be distracted by this world. You have a purpose. Don't be distracted by the God of this world. You have a purpose. And the God of this world is trying to blind and he's trying to distract. But we've got to fulfill our purpose. And one way to stay motivated, one combination in fighting against the God of this world is let's be motivated by death. Understanding that while we may be saved, there are people who are also dying around us. And it's not just motivation that I will die and I will have to answer for the things that were done in my body, but it's also motivation that they will die. And if they die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity in hell. My friend, today, maybe your reaction to death is unsurety. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're sitting in this room today and as I'm talking about death being a motivating factor, you're thinking about death being the end of all things. 
When the fact of the matter is that death is the beginning of eternity, not the end of anything. The only decision that must be made in your heart and your mind is whether you will die with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and spend an eternity in heaven or whether you will ignore the gospel as it's being preached this morning and die and spend an eternity in hell. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. So then death worketh in us. What does death do for you? I hope it motivates you. I trust that you're a child of God. I trust that you could testify right now and say, yes, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I have no doubt about it. But if you can't say that, let death motivate you this morning to accept the free gift of salvation. You see, I have one purpose in life. And that is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ would be made known. Yeah, sometimes I'm distracted by my problems. Sometimes I let the things of this world consume me. Sometimes I let gain distract me from serving God. You know, there's times, well, maybe there's times in your life where you, you, you missed some church services. You didn't have to because you wanted those extra dollars. There's all kinds of reasons why. We're distracted. Sometimes we're distracted. But I have a purpose this morning. And that purpose is to let God shine through me. And so, believer, today, I want to encourage you in your purpose. I want to encourage you through your problems. They're not excuses. They're motivation. They're they're reasons to do more. And I want you to be motivated by death. Your death means the end of your opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. But the death of the lost means an eternity in hell for them. Let's fulfill our purpose. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?